For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in the sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's ask him to bless its uh, proclamation as we study it uh, this day. And may his spirit instruct us in it. Let's pray. Almighty God, as the Apostle Paul uh, reminds us in this passage, you are a God who existed before uh, time even began. Uh, and that all things are the unfolding of your wise and perfect plan. And therefore, we can trust in the promises you make, um, that you are not a liar, but you are the one who holds the future. And therefore, uh, as you promise good things uh, for us, and particularly the good life, uh, or good gift of eternal life, that we know that that uh, future life is secure because you have said it is, um, that you have promised us eternal life through our Savior, Jesus Christ, and therefore we can trust in the certainty of that promise. And we thank you for the trustworthiness of your revealed word, that uh, just as you spoke through your prophets and apostles, so you speak through their words now uh, to us that you are a living God and that this word is a living word that searches out our hearts, um, exposes our sin to us, and reveals to us uh, your grace and goodness and mercy. And so as we study um, these words that uh, your servant Paul wrote to your servant Titus um, centuries ago, um, you speak to us by your spirit now. And so we ask for that spirit to touch our hearts as we study this word. Um, give us uh, wisdom, uh, even as Christ himself is the embodiment of wisdom. Help us to see him and his work and his church. And uh, help us to um, be good stewards of that to which you've entrusted us. Um, and giving us wisdom how then we should live. And we ask this in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, well, let's start uh, with the start. Um, 
what you know what's the song you know, start at the beginning it's a very good place to start not going to try to sing it um, but uh, so with this introductory um, greeting the opening of the letter um, so verses one through four um, what does this letter uh, or this opening to the letter reveal about both the sender um, and the recipient of this particular epistle of Paul. So what do we learn about either one? You're reading someone else's mail. You know. <laughs> Whose mail are you reading? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, and it's it's putting, um, you know, it's, and I like the, you know, there's like a certain pattern to Paul's introductions, but the variations are great. And this particular variation, yeah, puts Paul into the scheme of eternity. Um, and I, I love how it's both eternity past, um, you know, uh, which God um, promised before the ages began. So, you know, God has, has, has made promises and, and, and you know, spoken things into being before time and those things even exist. Um, but it's also, you know, our hope of eternal life future. You know, so it's, it's both this, um, he's putting himself and his message in this place of, of, of eternity. Um, that, and as we think of, again, as Paul's apostleship, you know, that he, you know, he, he sometimes describes that he's called out of time. <laughs> like, you know, you, know, you had the, the, the 12, and then, like, <laughs> you know, he, he was the latecomer to the, to the party. Like, God called him out of, out of season. Um, but, you know, here he's emphasizing that that, that call to apostleship is, is part of, as you say, it's part of God's plan um, and this perfect unfolding of his plan for the purpose of, of um, preaching this gospel, which brings people to eternal life. So yeah, there's this great, it's this great emphasis on God's sovereign plan from before the ages began, and that's plan, plan for our life eternal. So it's like reaching back to before time, and it's reaching forward to time infinite. Yes. Um, well, so he's he's not labeling himself an as, as apostle. So he's Christ has labeled him apostle. Um, so so yeah. For I don't think we need to worry about numbering purposes. Like you know, he he's an apostle in the sense that he is um, a sent one of God, you know, that he has the, a, he's called to a particular kind of ministry. Yeah. Yeah, 
well, we don't have to worry about numbers. <laughs> because, you know, Judas gets replaced at the beginning of Acts, you know, so, so we know that the number isn't fixed. <laughs> no. Um, but um, notice that he, he calls himself the two words. So he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's also a servant of God. And, um, you know, does any of your translations have something different? Bond servant or slave. So, you know, the, so the word there is, I mean, if we wanted to take the word at its root meaning, the word is slave that, you know, we pretty up by calling it servant. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, well, I mean, when you hear that, servant of God, or well, let's take the, the stronger bond servant or slave of God. Yeah, why, why use that language to describe yourself? Because we're freedom-loving Americans. We don't like slavery. Yeah, in that language of master, um, of lordship, you know, that he is, he, he's committed to one master, you know, think of what Jesus is saying in, in the Gospels, like, no man can serve two masters, like, you know, you, you're, you're going to either, you know, be loyal to one or the other, like, you know, who, who is your, um, uh, oh, you know, in a moment of conflict, you know, your obedience is going to have to choose. So in this case, you know, as he's, he has one master, like he, this, this one, um, uh, one obligatory uh, responsibility to this master. And, you know, it's just as, you know, a slave, as we describe it, you know, the slave lacks an independence of will. Um, I'm teaching uh, right now in, in a class, we're reading through 19th century American slave narratives, um, and one we did this past week was Henry Bibb. And you know, one of the things that struck the st students in, in describing it is is how he describes, you know, even though he suffers like a couple of horrible beatings, that's not why he's opposed to slavery. He's opposed to slavery because he lacks independence. Like he's not free to move where he wants to. You know, he's um, uh, if his, he's not, he doesn't have the independence to protect his wife when she's beaten. Like for him, that's where the real horror of American slavery was, is, was the lack of having an independent will. And so to sort of think of that, you know, he is not a, um, he's not a, a free agent. You know, he is locked up in the service to this one God, and he goes where that one God sends him. Yeah, and that he's entrusted with it, um, you know, and, and as we think about, because um, the when we get into the rest of chapter one, he gets into what are the requirements and obligations for elders or overseers in God's church, 
And they're similarly called to be stewards of God's household, you know, to hold fast to that which they've been given, which is the word of God, and to faithfully proclaim it as they've been commanded. So, um, yeah, so that, that model, he, he's, he's commanded to do something. And in this case, uh, he's uh, entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, um, to, to preach this word, to proclaim this word, um, to, to, um, to faithfully deliver this message of eternal life. Yeah, in the, in the description, um, particularly in Romans, how he sort of talks about, you know, how he's been chained to sin, <laughs> you know, in that slavery. And this is a very different kind of service. Like, you know, it's, um, he's a slave, but he's, um, he's been freed to serve. It's like a slavery that hasn't been cast upon him, but a slavery he's chosen, or like he's chosen to be a, a you know, even though God's called him to be a bond servant, you know, it's doing, he's doing it out of, of, of gratitude, not out of, again, you kind of use the, um, when we think of the word slave in, in adjectival form, you know, like slave, like he's not doing it out of a slavish mentality, like, oh, I got to do this, but he's doing it joyfully, like this is a joyful service that he's um, uh, undertaking for his master. <laughs> uh, things I did not expect to uh, talk about in class today. <laughs> Bob Dylan. <laughs> but apropos. <laughs> but apropos. Um, so, in, you know, as we think of, you know, again, one of the distinct things about this particular opening is this lengthy description. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things uh, as we go through the, the book, you know, this short three chapters of this book, um, these elements in the identification are things that are going to show up in the book as a whole. You know, that the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth according to godliness are going to be motivating concerns for elders, as we see in chapter one. Um, and the people are going to be encouraged to live, um, you know, the um, uh, lives which are in accord with godliness and this hope of eternal life. Um, and notice um, twice in this introduction you have reference to both God and Christ Jesus being Savior. So he's, he's emphasizing both the, you know, uh, he's emphasizing that he's a bondservant of God but he's, he's not emphasizing that God is the Lord. Um, like often, that's usually more typical of Pauline to, say, to label in his uh, opening Jesus Christ the Lord. But here he's emphasizing Jesus Christ the Savior. Um, so he's in service 
to this God who has saved him. Um, yes? Yeah, that, you know, it, it's, imp- but it's more implicit, as you say, you know, it's in, in, the lordship is, in, is more implicit in, in him emphasizing his service. What he wants to emphasize God, about God, um, is the, the salvation aspect um, in this one. So again, it's, it, you're, you're right, it's implicit in being a servant, God's the master, um, that's kind of the implied message, um, to go back to our Bob Dylan song. <laughs> um, but, uh, but what he wants to make explicit about God's identity in this is that you know, it's God our Savior um, has commanded me to preach this message of salvation to eternal life to you. So it's kind of emphasizing that we share um, this, um, this uh, common message of eternal life. Uh, all right, anything else you want to say about uh, the opening. Um, yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, <laughs> and it's the um, and I think you're what what kind of emphasizes. So what Ronnie said is the he's emphasizing that God does not lie to a people, as we see later on, um, Cretans are always liars. (laughs) You know, that he's emphasizing the truthfulness of God to a people who don't exactly have a reputation for for truthfulness. And this is the only time in the New Testament that this phrase, God does not lie, is used. It's, 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 It's more of an Old Testament kind of way of describing the character of God that the New Testament you know, uses other phrases to express God's trustworthiness. But this particular one you know, is, is unique. So um, you know, the God who never lies, that's the only time in the New Testament we get that particular phrase. And I think you're right. Um, it, he's, and it's the way the opening is anticipating the body of the letter you know, he's addressing a message to um, people who have a, you know, have a reputation. Um, he's actually, you know, quotes, uh, it's not, you know, this description, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. He's quoting <laughs> an actual Cretan <laughs> who said this five centuries before about Cretans. <laughs> so, you know, this is a long going and it's, it's carried on like their quotes from like Cicero about Crete that has a similar. So this is kind of like their street um, reputation. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's where our, our word cretin yeah, derives from, this kind of reputation of Crete. Um, but yeah, um, the problem is they are associating with lots of other people because they're in the center of Mediterranean. So, you know, it's like when Paul's there, you know, Paul wants to, in Acts, Paul wants to stay there because it's, you know, like, you know, it's the bad sailing season in, in, in the Mediterranean. And, and so this is, he's, he's, he's in Crete 
and then they leave Crete and get shipwrecked. And Paul does a little bit of, I told you we're going to get shipwrecked if we left. We should have stayed in Crete. So, um, but yeah, that there, you know, this island that has multiple cities. I mean, um, so it's a pretty well-developed island. Um, but they have this, you know, reputation for a, a little bit of, of double dealing. I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let, we'll, we'll get to the, you know, the Cretans' reputation. So yeah, so again, it's an actual quote from an actual Cretan figure um, from the you know, fifth to sixth century, um, and and it's um, Epimenides is repeated by Aristotle, Plato, Cicero. So it's a saying that you know circulates. I mean, um, I mean, think of like you know reputations particular areas or towns have now you know for certain kinds of behaviors that. You know, what? The Yankees. <laughs> um, you know, uh, how we have these kinds of certain, you know, image like comes up when you hear that somebody's from some, some particular place. So the Cretans had a particular reputation that we'll get to in just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and if you'll remember back, um, back in 1 Timothy, that Paul used the same uh, language. Um, he adds the word common faith, but you know, he addressed Timothy, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, and here to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Um, so emphasizing um, both this kind of authoritative relationship, but also that this, you know, it's a common faith. Um, and um, as we'll see, the, the true child um, doesn't necessarily mean that Titus was Paul's convert, but that you know he, he's been someone that the the apostle has mentored, um, discipled in the faith, um, and has this kind of um, position of authority to address in a particular way. Um, as a common elder, you know, or as a common leader in the church, but you know with a little bit of authority. Um, and uh, um, most people think uh, later on, it's, it's again, very similar to First Timothy, has a phrase like, let no one despise you. Uh, if you remember back in First Timothy, the phrase was, let no one despise you because of your youth. Um, the, that part, because of your youth, doesn't show up in Titus. So most people think that Titus is, is older at this stage than, than Timothy. So he's not, you know, again, even though he's being described as a true child, um, don't think of him as um, a young person or someone who's just starting out 
um, in the ministry. Um, so Titus, again, um, from what little we know, seems to be in a more established position um, uh, in, in terms of his service to the church than Timothy. I think it has both senses, you know, common in the sense that it's shared, um, but, um, but common also that, you know, it's, it's shared more broadly, but this is the thing, you know, that, that unites people together. And, uh, and I think some of the language is, again, anticipating the contents of the letter, where one of the problems, um, just as we saw with, with Timothy, was dealing with in Ephesus, one of the problems Titus is dealing with on Crete is false teachers. So, you know, I think some of the true child common faith is to separate it from the um, false, uncommon teachings, um, you, know, um, you know, particular teachings. I mean, if you think of often false teachers like have a particular, you know, thing that they're emphasizing that's not held in common and they're trying to say, you know, this is the one thing you really need to do to have the true faith. So, yeah, I think it's common in both the sense that they share it, but also what is common to the, to the faith. You know, that's what he's going to emphasize against these false teachers who are emphasizing, just like we saw in Timothy, you know, these, these speculative myths, these, you know, um, uh, imaginations uh, of their mind. All right, well, let's turn to, um, so this is our second uh, set of um, uh, um, instructions about um, the choosing or laying, uh, it says appoint, but appoint could also be laying hands on, so it doesn't necessarily mean that Titus is the one, like, um, but he, he's going around helping churches to or organize laying hands, appointing elders in you know, these various cities across um, the island of Crete. And, and Paul is giving the, him instructions about what the qualities of a true elder overseer. And notice, um, we didn't talk about this much in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, he used overseer. Um, here, Paul is using um, uh, elder and overseer uh, interchangeably, um, which is why in our Presbyterian tradition, we equate the two, we don't make it two different offices of overseer and elder, that we kind of equate them because he's, he's going back and forth between the two words in this passage. Um, so um, in this particular list, um, uh, what is Paul emphasizing about the, um, either the vices that an elder should not possess or the virtues that um, he should. <laughs> Still the only one that I have, you know, tangible <laughs> qualification of meeting. So again, the, and, it, um, and like we talked about in 1 Timothy, it doesn't necessarily mean that he has to be married, but it's, it's the way of, that the New Testament uses to emphasize sexual fidelity. Um, you know, he's a one-woman man. Um, so, all right, so there's a, uh, uh, again, uh, 
husband of, of one wife. No polygamy. <laughs> yeah, and, and that is, there's a lot of struggle over that. Because um, the word for believer there, you, if you, um, actually the print version of the ESV, uh, some, do you have a, uh, a note for that? Yeah, it, the word can mean faithful there. Um, so, and um, a lot of people say it, it might be better translated faithful, um, not because you have the description of actions, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So, you know, that that modifies, you know, the first one. Um, let me read, uh, I think I wrote this down. Uh, one person said this way, what must um, not characterize the children of, the, of an elder is immorality and undisciplined rebelliousness if the children are still at home and under his authority. Paul's not asking any more of the elder and his children than is expected for every Christian father. So just as, every, like, you know, I'm not responsible for the fact if my children are believers or not, like, you know, um, to instruct them in the faith, but... You know, obviously, I can't elect them. <laughs> like, you know, God's the one who's elected them. Um, I can control their behaviors, though, um, while they're in my household to a certain degree. Like, I can correct them and police them and, and, and make sure they're not living an open life of, of debauchery or open insubordination. Like, again, those are outward actions that um, a, 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 a parent can police, like I can't control their heart. So I think faithful might be more, uh, might be a, a, a contextual translation here that um, helps alleviate this confusion because again, um, a father has no control over the belief of their children. Um, they do have control over their behaviors <laughs> to, a, to an extent. Yeah, um, and again, it's on, the idea is um, uh, managing his household well. I mean, that's the emphasis, because he's going to be a, uh, you know, for an overseer as God's steward. So, you know, why is um, this emphasis on how a person, you know, manages their own household important? Because they're going to be managed. You know, you know, a manager, a steward, an overseer of God's household. Um, and, you know, Paul and Timothy uh, use that language of the church is God's household. You know, it's a family. Um, and that's why there's this emphasis on um, having leaders who manage their own, you know, immediate family, you know, their physical family and blood well, because they're going to be put in a position of authority over the household of God. You know, they're going to have responsibility in their, um, their Christian family, members of the household of God. Um, all right, so this emphasis on um, uh, you know, being a, a, a good 
um, um, uh, a good exerciser of authority within their own family. Yeah, and that word, notice how um, uh, this word uh, uh, insubordination <laughs> um, shows up both in the list of, you know, they're not to be, they and their children aren't supposed to, aren't to be open to this charge of insubordination. And he uses the same word in, in verse 10 to describe these, these other teachers who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. Um, so um, as we think about this, this insubordination, um, it's, it's their obedience to the commands of, of God is kind of, you know, who are they being? It's not that, you know, again, uh, insubordinate necessarily within a hierarchy, but, you know, that, but they are faithful to the charge they're given them. I mean, who's given Paul a charge? Like, as we talked about earlier, who's Paul, commanded Paul? God. <laughs> so who would Paul... Um, be insubordinate to insubordinate to to God. <laughs> yeah, and if we think of the list of vices, you know, notice how you know these things, arrogant, you know, that kind of self-inflation of the ego, um, quick-tempered, you know, I'm right, you know, you know, if you have a quick temper, you know, it's your sense of self-justice or self-righteousness is raised. Um, a drunkard that, you know, um, my bodily desires are going to be met without restraint. Um, uh, violent or greedy for gain, you know, again, that kind of um, in it for themselves. Um, um, so that, that's God-willed uh, rather than self-willed, I think, is a good way to kind of summarize the whole list. Yeah, and notice again the contrast with the false teachers toward the end of the chapter, you know, that they, are, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So that, uh, you know, this emphasis on what you can profess, confess to believe, is consistent with your practice. And, you know, you profess to believe in this God who's, who has commanded um, godliness, but if you're living an ungodly life, then again, you're you're being insubordinate, disobedient, <laughs> but you're, you know, laying that charge on other people. And if you think back to First Timothy, that was one of the, you know, first things that, um, that Paul called out um, these false teachers in Ephesus for was that they were laying, you know, they professed to be teachers of the law while they didn't even understand it. Um, lay, and they laid those commands on other people while themselves were leading lives of debauchery. So this emphasis that, that words and behavior are, are consistent because you know, um, the world often judges us by, on the basis of our behavior. And if those two things are, you know, if what we, how we act is out of accord with what we say we believe, you know, then that gives them an excuse not to believe in the truth of our message.
Nobody like, yeah. And, and our, our culture is like waiting, <laughs> looking for the opportunity to, to charge us with hypocrisy. Um, ready to pounce. Good. Other things to say about um, uh, the qualities of an elder slash overseer? Yeah, and and I love the 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 structure of that of verse nine. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction. So again, that um, it's his instruction isn't coming out of some you know independent study area of authority that you know the the elders' ability to proclaim things is built on the word. Um, I often say that, you know, as an elder, I have no ability to lay a charge on someone um, outside the bounds set by scripture. Like, I can't invent, you know, some new rule that, like, everybody, all males have to wear bow ties to church. Um, so let's see. Uh, Mike is <laughs> the only righteous man in the congregation, like no, I don't have the ability. You know, that's that's outside the word. Um, as much as I like bow ties, um, you know, and it's that idea. It's um, you know, part of the safeguard of the church is that its teachers have to be rooted in the word. That's where the church's instruction comes from. It doesn't come from own some independent, amorphous, you know, imaginings or. Uh, of their heart, but you know they're holding fast to what God has said, and that gives them the authority to give instruction. You know, it's sort of like you know, the one sets the basis for the other. Like if, um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not going to go to all my pet peeves about bad sermons. <laughs> No, but how one, um, you know, how one, um, one era's um, application becomes the next era's rule. No, you're right. How, and it can, how it can be like a subtle point of emphasis. Oh, you know, um, this is how we're going to try to, to, um, to obey this command. And, and then that becomes, you know, a rule for the next, you know, what, become, you know, is initially maybe, um, yeah, not being presented as, uh, you know, something different, but just like, all right, so like, you know, how do I keep the Sabbath, for example, like, you know, and coming up with some particular, well, this is how I'm going to keep the Sabbath, you know, in my conscience, this is how I think it would be a faithful, but then if that becomes a rule that impinges upon someone else's conscience, you know, for the next generation. That's often how, you know, you're right, historically that's often how it, it comes about. It's not coming, um, you know, it's not often always presented as a major deviation. It's, it's often, you know, like, well, you know, we added a little to it and a little more, <laughs> you know, and, 
pretty soon, you know, it's, we're saying things way beyond what the scripture teaches. Yeah, so that's helpful to sort of think how it's often these little subtle little emphases that become rules um, for someone else. Yeah, and what's really, um, the word hospitable um, that perceives lover of good, um, it's, it's a, again, it's kind of a, um, this particular word, this is um, a word that gets translated hospitable, um, is the only time um, that it shows up. But it, it, it literally would be something like a lover of people. Um, you know, so it's lover of people, lover of good. You know, so it's someone who both loves people, you know, and is willing to give of themselves to other people, um, as well as a lover of good. You know, what God, God's good um, law, God's, um, what God says is good, um, and, and not coming up, like we saw in Timothy, calling what God said is good evil, and coming up with your, their own set of, of you know, uh, their own moral code um, and it, so it, you know the way it sort of starts off you know like lover of people lover of good I, again just sort of think of these like um, ways to kind of summarize what what characteristics we want in a, a pastor or an elder you know someone who um, is both a lover of people and a, a lover of, of God's word what God has said and seeks to do that yeah, yeah, that's a great way to think of it. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you do that, um, that's uh, Dr. Long, who is my uh, um, missions evangelism professor in, in seminary, used to talk about, you know, um, that's the, the church, you know, and you do that, you know, it's, it's relationship to God, but then it's this horizontal to people. And, like, we're not, if, if as a church all we're doing is focusing on one relationship, like just our relationship to God, then we're not do fulfilling the mission of church because we, you know, the point of having um, this relationship with God and seeking obedience is to spread it to other people. Um, and if all we're doing is emphasizing spreading it and not doing anything to nurture our relationship with God, we're deficient that way um, as well. So. Um, so yeah, it's both this vertical and horizontal relationship that and um, that all of us, not just church leaders, are are called to nurture. Um, hmm. Might save false teachers for for next time. Um, so uh, uh, just because I don't want to go way beyond, and we've only really gotten to verse nine, um, but we do have a couple other minutes. Other things you want to um, that strike you about the the emphasis on um, elders, overseers. Um, so 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, and he knows Timothy really well. I mean, he knows both of them. They both traveled with him. He's both dealt with them. Um, um, so, um, it, it, so it could be age and age. Um, it could also be personalities. So again, um, Timothy, um, you know, as we look at Paul's um, uh, encouragements to Timothy, they often have to do with kind of encouraging um, boldness. You know, getting Timothy out of his timidity. Um, Titus apparently doesn't have <laughs> that problem. Um, uh, Titus, if he has a problem, might be on the other side, like maybe a little too aggressive. <laughs> um, so yeah, Titus is is the is personality-wise again from the little bits we know of from the twelve references in the New Testament to Titus. Um, uh, it doesn't have problem with timidity. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, he, he has a, he's a little, his character seems a little bit more forward and aggressive, um, which, yeah, um, he, he's maybe a little more battle tested because he's willing to put himself in those situations. I mean, for goodness sake, he was serving in the Corinthian church for a time and, um, you know, <laughs> you want to be battle tested. <laughs> So yeah, so again, uh, yeah, um, different points of emphasis. What were you going to say, Scott? Yeah, um, you know, and again, the emphasizing the creation, and one of the things the pastoral epistles do as a whole, it's emphasizing the creation of an infrastructure. Um, and, you know, what, so that you might put what remained into order, so that putting into order um, is, is one of those messages, um, kind of, you know, run, or themes running through um, the pastoral epistles. Again, moving from an apostolic church where, you know, the, the Apostle comes in and he preaches the gospel. Believers are converted in a particular place, and then he's gone. You know, um, Paul is the rolling stone that gathers no moss. Like, you know, but um, for the faithful nourishment and stewardship of the church of God, it's going to require people there. You know, to be in place, to be a steward, to be an overseer, to give guidance to these Christian communities that have been created by apostolic teaching. Um, and so this need to create an organized structure, um, which is why you know, we're seeing in both Timothy, first Timothy, we had a list of these instructions, and Titus, we have a list of these instructions, because we're moving from that generation of apostolic leadership to leadership coming from within the church itself. And so that's why there's this emphasis on, on you know, 
these people have to be put in place for the healthy order of the church. Because if they're not, that leaves the opportunity for all these other people to come in and preach, you know, as he called it in Timothy, this other doctrine. Or as he says here, you know, insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, you know. Um, you know if, so if there's not this infrastructure in place to help nourish the church in sound doctrine and instruction, then that's creating, you know, it's leaving the church open to these, you know, what Paul describes in other places as wolves <laughs> to come in. Yeah, and how important that infrastructure is because, you know, the focus is on, um, or one of the focuses of the chapter is, um, you know, the effects of these false teachers and how the church needs to be rooted in sound doctrine. Um, so that's why you have to have in place, um, you know, and, and Paul, you know, emphasizes that, you know, in, in his intro, through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God. And then these, these um, elders are supposed to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So, you know, just as Paul had been uh, entrusted by the command of God to proclaim this message, so these people um, are being entrusted with the command of God as, as um, written in Scripture to proclaim that message to, um, to the churches that they're serving. Yeah, and, and again, the, the way... And, and, and so often churches um, become cults of personality. Like, you know, sort of like, again, like we see in the Corinthian church, like, you know, some are following Paul, some are saying they follow Apollos, and he's trying to create a, a structure that goes beyond person, you know, individual persons, like the strength of the church shouldn't rely on one particular charismatic leader, but, but you know, creating the basis in which sound doctrine is going to be promoted throughout the church, regardless of who started it, you know, you know, what, uh, you know, whose particular work it was, um, you know, and, and again, it's this transition to a more stable order, um, you know, it, he, he's leaving instructions um, for a church when he's not around and other apostles aren't around, um, you know, and, and that's the purpose and the need to create an ordered life for the church. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, and I wouldn't say disagree, but trying to be consistent. And, and, and you know, um, and again, so like we would say the message of James is consistent with the message of Paul, but they're emphasizing different things. Um, and, you know, you know, and as we think, again, with, with Titus, you know, he's giving some of the same instructions he gave Timothy, but he's putting them in a different order. He's emphasizing different things to address the particular needs, in this case, of the Cretan church, um, and which we'll have to talk about next time, you know. Um, yeah, how would you like to have, <laughs> oh, those New Englanders, they're liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that, um, yeah, that's, how's that for a reputation? Yeah, Andre. Allergy, but practice, yeah. So, and so that, you know, there's this emphasis on creating a, a consistent practice. And how is consistent practice going to be created? Not by, you know, individual messages, but by a, a common word. And, um, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence as we get um, in future weeks, when we get to Second Timothy, you know, one of the strongest descriptions of the role of scripture is coming in second timothy with you know you know this this beautiful description we get in second timothy um 3 um uh all scripture uh or 16 sorry all scriptures breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be competent equipped for every good work again you know this emphasis on the soundness of the church is going to um, to result from its holding fast to the word of god you know that is going to be the the bulwark of the church's defense against false teaching is by its holding fast to the sound doctrine of the word of God, so we're not taken away by somebody coming in, like we see Peter, Paul rebukes Peter, you know, by someone coming in and sort of raising doubts about certain things. You know, like the hedge against that is the word of God. All right, well, let me uh, close our time together. So uh, next week, uh, because it's Easter, we won't have um, Sunday school, um, but in two weeks when we come back, we'll pick up in Titus 1, um, verse 10, and then get into to chapter 2, where um, Paul is emphasizing um, the teaching of sound doctrine after he gives us description of, of both these false teachers and the nature of, of people um, in Crete that uh, Titus is ministering to. So let me pray. Gracious God, we uh, confess that we do sin and err, um, and that we do uh, often um, wrongly dispute with one another or create disputes in the church by things that we emphasize that might be out of accord with your word. Um, and so we do uh, confess and repent of those things and express our desire to hold fast to, um, to the faith in Jesus Christ, to hold fast to this message that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and through him we have eternal life. And that um, is the outworking 
of your plan um, that you spoke um, before the ages even began. And so uh, our hope doesn't lie in our effectiveness um, or our um, abilities, but our hope resides in you and in what you've told us uh, through your word um, and, and, uh, and through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, uh, the living word. We pray um, that you would um, uh, keep us uh, led by um, faithful men who don't look after their own needs, their own selves. They're not self-willed, but that they seek after your will and that your will be done in all situations. Um, help us to be both lovers of people, but also lovers of your good. Um, and uh, we ask that you would enable us to, to worship you now um, in this coming hour, um, to faithfully serve you and obey the commandment, to, to render to you worship and to give even of our very selves um, in the worship of you. Um, so we pray for an abundance of your spirit that um, will fill us and enable us to serve you faithfully, um, to um, proclaim your word uh, rightly, um, and to uh, live lives in accordance to what we say we believe, not by our will, but by your will working in us. Give us that will, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.